Welcome to the Druids Grove, where we discuss all things related to Druids, their history, current day practices, and how to build a deeper connection and relationship with the earth. I'm so glad you're here. If you find what I have to share helpful, please subscribe and share with others that may enjoy it, and check the show notes for more information. Come on in, relax for a bit, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Druids Grove. Today's episode is going to be a long one, so I hope you can bear with me. Uh, The topic is going to be about ethics, responsibility, honesty, integrity, morality, uh, all within the concept and framework of Druidry. But before I get started, I did want to say thank you uh, to everyone. I've received some emails and messages, and I really appreciate the kind words from everyone, and I've seen a couple of reviews that have been great, so thank you so much for that. And I want anyone that's listening just to know, if you are doubting this path, or if you are not sure where to go, or you feel as kind of an outsider, it is okay to feel like that. There are a lot of us druids out there. There doesn't seem to be because we are not as popular as other mainstream religions or spiritual practices, but there's a lot of us out there. So if you need to just get out there and find your tribe, whether it's through podcasts or social media groups or even local organizations, seek that out. And and, and if you're enjoying what you're doing, whether it's this podcast or reading books or doing whatever, just keep doing that, getting out, getting out in nature and just enjoying your practice. I have received a, a couple of negative comments, you know, questioning the historical accuracy and that kind of thing uh, about the podcast and, and what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Um, these people are kind of coming from a place of, of um, I won't, ignorance, I guess, is just they're not understanding the context within which I'm speaking or where I'm getting my information from, and Again, I just want to reiterate that everything that I talk about on this podcast is very common in different types of druidry. Um, I'm not, you know, making things up. There are some personal uh, opinions at times, but generally it's just kind of a broad introduction to the topics of druidry. And like any other spiritual practice, you can kind of take it how you like it. And, you know, if you don't like things, that's okay. You can just let it go. And if people are listening that are questioning or doubting what I'm saying or just don't want to participate, that's okay. I really hope you find what you're looking for out there. So, having said that, going to go ahead and start in on the topic. Generally speaking, um, you know, when we think of the word or words ethics, responsibility, uh, morality, honesty, integrity, Kind of depending on our perspective and our starting point, these may seem either like very concrete ideas or abstract ideas. And we may wonder why these concepts even have a place in Druidry. And if they do, how are they used? How are they integrated? What purpose do these concepts serve and how can we use them in our daily lives, in our Druidic practice? So in some spiritual traditions, the the tenets... Uh, the foundational ideas of practice are passed down um, as kind of commandments or instructions or a dogma, you know, a set of rules that you have to follow to be considered a participant or a practitioner of that religion or that spiritual practice. And if you step outside of those guidelines, uh, you will be punished or exiled or, you know, you have to pay some type of penance or, or penalty for breaking those rules. Uh, this this type of framework is used to keep people uh, within the framework and the boundaries of that individual spiritual practice. And so if we look at it, we can see that, you know, by controlling people's thoughts and their actions, uh, a spiritual or religious organization can control the people and then, in effect, control the society. Um, it's very important to understand that Druidry does not follow this path. Druidry does not adhere to this kind of set framework that everyone must follow or you will be excluded or punished or or you can't call yourself a druid this is that is not what druidry is so if we look back at the ancient times druids in society were seen as leaders and i talked about this you know in some of the first few episodes so the druids in ancient times they served many functions 
in society. They were judges, philosophers, educators, lawmakers, uh, arbiters of justice. They worked to settle disputes, and they performed mediation of war between opposing factions. They served a lot of different roles. And even in ancient times, before kind of structured society, um, there needed to be people that were responsible for guiding the population and kind of helping to facilitate uh, organization and structure and, and some rules in society. And, and we see that this applies today as well in, in our current society. So in, in most societies, there are groups of people that they make the laws, they enforce the laws, they settle disputes, they serve as leaders, educators, and so on. Uh, today, and in, in, you know, in today's culture, people specialize in these roles. You know, based on going to a college or a university, they pick a specific role or a specific job. You know, they want to be a lawyer or a politician or a judge or a police officer or whatever. Um, but in ancient times, the the general population was very limited in their ability to kind of go into these roles. So most people in society in ancient times you know, a couple thousand years ago, they were just general laborers. They took care of their own land or their farm, um, or they did hunting and gathering. They took care of their family, or they worked the fields for, like, landowners and um, or government officials or uh, government, you know, that owned the land, and they would just harvest the food for the general population, that kind of thing. And in the old Celtic society, the Druids became the leaders that served in these roles, but rather than serving in only one role, uh, their roles were very broad and diverse in, in what they were able to practice. So this allowed them the opportunity to kind of see things from many different angles and to understand many different topics. So instead of specializing in one role like people do today, they served many different roles and functions. So they, could, they learned about science and philosophy and education, law, politics, agriculture, poetry, art, music, other creative expression, all kinds of things that they learned about because they used them in their roles. And the Druids were very kind of well-rounded people who were able to approach nearly any topic with an open mind. And they were able to seek to understand the perspective of all those that were involved and to come to kind of the most ethical and appropriate conclusion and make a recommendation on whatever was going on at the moment. And there are many ancient uh, philosophers from the Romans or, or leaders of the Romans that conquered the Druids, and they wrote about the Druids and how they, the functions that they served in their own cultures. And they talked about how the amount of respect that the individual societies and, and groups and clans and, and the chieftains had for the, for the Druids and, and how these cultures and societies followed the Druids' word and the recommendations that they made. They were very well respected. And there's also writings that talk about uh, the Druids served these roles with honor um, and respect. They didn't do it from a sense of being in charge or ruling over everyone. It was written, um, I found some writings that were talking about how they, the Druids valued honor, they value integrity, they value piousness uh, and integrity, that kind of thing. So their practice was not at the also their practice was not at the uh, the detriment of their own integrity um, or or letting other people run over them or humiliate them. They just understood the role that they served and they did it with a sense of respect and integrity. Um, there was a sense of kind of pride and confidence in what they were doing, but there was also a sense of respect for others and a desire to serve others. So it, it kind of has this sense of pride and dignity, but it, but it, and, and respect, but it doesn't mean that they will give up their dignity or they will kind of bow down to the will of other people and, and kind of be run over or controlled. So if we look at the Druid today, um, how would a Druid approach the roles of ethics and morality in day-to-day -day practice or even in the past? Um, and the reason we're talking about Druidry is because Druids respect nature and we look to nature. Druids look to nature for guidance and inspiration on how they should conduct themselves in their practice. So today and in the past, we can look to the trees for guidance. As always, the trees are very important 
in Druidic practice. So if we look at trees, we can be like a tree. We can be strong and stable, uh, but we can also be flexible enough to adapt to any situation. Um, I'm going to use a lot of metaphors today, kind of talking about uh, different things. So, you know, if we look at uh, a tree bearing fruit, so uh, a druid can have the intention of bearing the fruit of wisdom to benefit others. Uh, a tree can shed leaves, so you know the shedding of leaves in the fall and winter can also serve to uh, represent a period of time where one may wish to retract into themselves, into their spiritual practice, and to kind of protect themselves. So you know we as druids may want to go inward and to seek patience and to conserve energy to protect our core, or you know to kind of be uh, like a tree in the winter, to be silent in the breeze. We can hold our tongue in the chaos and fury of a storm. We can, uh, depending on what's going on around us, we can look to the trees to see how we want to respond to a situation and use them for inspiration. Like a tree, we can also dig our roots in. We can hold strongly to our beliefs while reaching out to others under the surface, seeking connection at a deeper level. So these are all metaphors of, of trees that we can also apply to ethical and moral decisions, responsibility, honesty, integrity. We can, we can look to the trees for guidance. Druids also have a significant amount of appreciation and respect and understanding for animals. So we can also look to animals for guidance. So for instance, when conflict arises, uh, which animals will face it head on and stand firm? Which animals become aggressive and territorial? Uh, which animals uh, conversely, understand the concept of self-preservation and may cower or huddle up as a group for protection or run away. Um, we, can, we can also look to animals in the practice of guiding and protecting our tribe or you know, our group of people around us. Um, many groups of animals have leaders that uh, arise and, and kind of come up as leaders and keep others in check by not allowing individuals to become too aggressive or to hurt others. Um, they, they kind of perform a protective role, ensuring the good of the group and, you know, everyone involved rather than letting, you know, individuals, rogue individuals kind of cause chaos and hurt others and, and be a detriment to the people around them. We can also look to animals to understand the ideas of conservation and planning ahead. You know, for instance, we can look at squirrels. We can see how they plan ahead. They collect nuts and acorns and things and, and bury food for the future. Um, we can look to the bear, um, speaking of conservation, we can look to the bear to see how they hibernate in the winter. Um, you know, but they plan ahead and they forage. And in the summer and the fall, they forage and gain body fat because they, they anticipate hibernation. They know winter is coming and, and they want to build up this body fat to sustain them through the winter. And if we look back historically, in, in ancient times, you know, before we have grocery stores and we're able to go get any food we want at any time, um, this is what humans did in the in the late summer and fall. These these times were a time of gathering in and harvesting the crops for the year, and celebrating with with desserts and eating lots of bread and treats and and you know carbohydrate rich food to put on body fat to sustain us through the winter. Um, they were, they were putting on this weight to survive through the winter because they knew food was going to be sparse and limited in the winter. And bears do the same thing. And much like bears, uh, humans also enter into a sort of uh, metaphorical cave in the winter. I talked about this in the Yule episode or the Alban Arthen episode. Um, you know, humans enter into this sort of metaphorical cave in the winter, seeking silence and solitude, quietude. Uh, reflecting on the past year. Uh, the bear also goes into these deep dream states, sleeping for ex extended periods of times. And we too, during the winter, have a lot of downtime and, and we'll use sleep to kind of pass the time. Um, you know, and during this time, we're dreaming. We're dr we could dream about the past, we can dream about the future. Um, but we are, this is a period of, of respite and quiet and rest. Um, of course, today, you know, with our modern work schedules and, and the use of artificial light, um, this kind of shifts the hours of working, you know, so in the, historically people would just work during the daylight and then 
Um, you know, but now we have artificial light and electricity, so so our working hours are significantly extended. Um, you know, we in the past, you know, society pretty much shut down in the winter at 5 p.m. and everything was still and quiet. You know, until seven or eight the next morning when the sun came back up in the winter. Um, now we don't really do that. We don't get that opportunity to just, you know, shut down and be quiet. And I was reading some things historically, not just the Druids, but just culturally across many cultures. Um, people in the winter would, you know, they would go to bed very early, like soon after dark. You know, they had fire um, and candles and that kind of thing, but there was really nothing to do, you know, before books and that kind of thing, before society became very uh, educated and was able to read, you know, there was not much entertainment. So people would go to bed very early, you know, six, five, six, seven p.m., and then they would wake up at midnight, 2 a.m., have a snack, you know, go to the bathroom, socialize, and then go back to bed again. So it was like a very long, extended sleep in the wintertime. It was a time of rest and, and just peace. Um, but, you know, now it's a little bit more limited on that. So in the winter, we can try to find time in this artificial light and this electricity and this artificial kind of society that we've built up to be productive. We still need to take the time to find time for ourselves to get this rest and this solace and to be at peace and to be be quiet because we are not built to just constantly be on the go like that. So, so we can also look uh, for inspiration to the plant kingdom for instructions on how to live an ethical life. So, you know, plants and animals all seek self-protection. Um, and at the same time, with self-protection, they also seek to propagate their own species. So some plants are very aggressive. Uh, they try to grow and take over the environment, while other plants are simple. They kind of stay in their own little space and, and, and focus on just growing and reproducing locally. And we can adopt these concepts from plants and apply them to our ethical and moral practice. So we can, uh, for example, we can develop ways to be defensive uh, with thorns. You know, not physical thorns, but our words or our actions can be very thorny. Um, or we can be friendly and we can reach out and help others and form a symbiotic relationship. Many plants form symbiotic relationships with their environment. So druids can kind of use these as examples and, and seek the same outcomes and take the same approach to how they interact with others. Uh, ethically and morally, it makes sense to approach our environment and, and all the beings in our environment with a sense of respect and, and kind of seeking out the most good for the most people or the most entities. I say people, cause, but typically that is, refers to humans, but entities or beings, that could be animals, plants, you know, soil, streams, water, all that stuff. So we're not just thinking on a human level. We're thinking about everything within our environment. You know, and also some plants, for instance, they want to be consumed uh, by birds or animals to spread their seeds. So they develop these bright colors uh, or personalities, you could say, uh, to attract others to them. Um, and because they want to interact with others, they want there, there's a purpose to them being extravagantly beautiful and eye-catching and, and, you know, there's a purpose behind those actions. Um, while others, like I said, they may develop thorns or other chemical defenses to protect them from predators. Um, but they, at the same time, they may have these chemical defenses or physical defenses, but it also allows them to interact safely with the others that they want to interact with. And if you've if you've done any, uh, you know, investigation or just learning about the plant kingdom, I'm sure you've heard of the mycelium network or the mycelium kingdom. Uh, this is uh, in regards to kind of mushrooms and fungi. Um, we can look to the mycelium kingdom for a sense of understanding the concept of interconnectedness and allowing all beings that they interact with to kind of thrive and survive. So. The, the mycelium network is an underground network of, of uh, roots and, and connections between a lot of different plants and, and it allows for nutrients and water to connect to all these different trees and plants, that kind of thing. So druids can adopt this practice as well, um, 
kind of by seeking to connect all these individuals around them and to provide a kind of spiritual, ethical, uh, moral connection to the people around them and, and striving to help others and uplift others and help them thrive rather than um, you know, being choosing to be harmful with our words or our actions. We can help support others around us. And Druids and other pagans, they have at the heart of their practice, which we've talked about, a connection to and kind of a focus on the environment and those around them. Um, you know, this is going to be difficult to explain, but unlike other, other spiritual practices, um, we live in, you know, other, other practices have this concept of like a heaven or, you know, a, a place they're going to go after they die or after, you know, whatever, that, that this life is temporary, but the goal is to get to the next phase. Where Druids and other pagans, at the heart of their practice, we, are, we currently live in heaven, or what other practices would call heaven. This, this is our existence. This is, we live in the most beautiful thing that we could imagine. And, you know, we, when you think about it, we truly are in heaven on earth. So I don't like taking words from other cultural practices, but that's just kind of the best analogy that I can come up with. So if we look at things from this perspective, that what we, the environment that we live on here in earth is kind of a, a heaven on earth perspective, and this is a beautiful place that we live and we want to take care of it. You know, if we look at it from this perspective, we want to seek harm, harmony in all of our interactions. So when we look at it this way, this perspective allows us to want the most good for the most people or the most beings. And this comes across in our interactions with all beings, from animals to insects, uh, other human beings to the plants in our garden, uh, the trees in our local forest or a local grove. You know, if we harm others, we are in essence essentially harming ourselves. So we want to adopt principles of integrity and honesty and respect to ensure a good life in the here and now for ourselves and for those around us. Druids uh, seek to honor and respect all things, so from uh, from stone and rock and earth to uh, mammals, um, to water, to air, to insects, all beings. We, we want to honor and respect these things. We are all interconnected, and we are all interdependent on one another. These are some concepts from Buddhism as well, but they are very important in Druidry. You know, if we seek to act in an unethical way or immorally or without honor or without integrity, we are hurting others, but we are also hurting ourselves. So this is a kind of an approach that a Druid might take in all matters of their lives. You know, if we seek to deceive other people, we will be discovered and we are only deceiving ourselves if we think we can get away with this deception or, you know, inflicting harm on other, other beings. So, following along this philosophy, <clears throat> there's a similar approach taken in other pagan practices. So, for instance, in Wicca, um, there's a saying, um, and there's various um, forms of this saying, but you know, the saying generally is, and you harm none, do what you will. Uh, or, and ye harm none, do what ye will, that kind of thing. So, what this basically means is, do what you want with your own spiritual practice as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Or you could add in anything else. So other traditions may say something like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, you know, these are just various sayings that could be seen to incorporate Druid thoughts um, and Druid principles, uh, you know, wanting the most good for, for the most things, the, you know, the p best positive outcome, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of other kind of uh, earth-based uh, colloquial sayings that might apply to kind of ethical and moral principles, um, you know, like the, the phrase, go out on a limb, you know. Uh, so one that I read was, why not go out on a limb? That's where the fruit is, you know. So so deciding to be, uh, to take an action that, that might be a little bit risky, but you might have a reward or a good payoff or a good benefit from doing that, uh, you know. Or another one is like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so, you know, the, there's, there's just all these kind of little sayings. And one of my favorite ones, to add a little bit of humor, 
you know, and I heard this all the time. I, I don't know if this is just a cultural thing where I live or if it's, you know, all over the place, but the, when someone asks something that is very obvious, um, you know, the, the, the rhetorical question might be, does a bear shit in the woods? Well, yes, a bear shits in the woods. Where else would they go to the bathroom? But the, the point is, like, we have all these n- nature-based sayings because culturally that's where we come from. You know, we've only been civilized and, and lived, in, lived in these societies and cities for a very short period of time. So, um, you know, we look to nature for inspiration and guidance and for humor and, 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 and use these sayings to kind of help portray that. So while it may seem odd to think of druids as being ethical or moral, honest, responsible, um, if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, these concepts really do lie at the heart of what it means to be a druid. So if you are a druid or you're thinking about practicing druidry or whatever, you may think, well, I don't really know what that means or I, uh, druidry is about you know enjoying nature or being in nature. But deep at the heart of it, from an outsider's perspective, when we look at how druids interact with the world, um, yes, we look to nature for guidance and we seek to protect everything around us to ensure the best outcome for all. But these principles in themselves are ethical, moral, uh, responsible, you know, honest, and in- integrity-based decisions and-, and actions. So how do we apply these in our daily lives? So... Uh, for instance, I work in I work in healthcare, and I try to approach each patient with a perspective or a view from many different angles. So I don't just see the patient in front of me in that moment. When I approach them uh, or interact with them, I look at them as a child, you know, um, or as a young animal or a young plant or whatever, and I try to understand what influenced them along the way to get them where they are today. I look at the environment that they are currently functioning in to kind of see why they're thriving or merely surviving. Um, you know, what's going on in their environment? How is it influencing them? How has their past influenced them? Uh, I look to their future and I kind of see what, what fruits they hope to bear in their lives. Um, you know, what do they want out of life? How can I help them get there? Um, I look at their relationships around uh, with those around them and see how they interact with the people in their circle and within their environment and and look at the environment that they have created for themselves or have coincidentally ended up in to see how it's influencing them and by taking kind of this bird's eye view see there's another there's another kind of nature-based <laughs> uh, term that uh, pun not intended i did not do that on purpose but by taking this approach this bird's eye view which is kind of a very druidic approach i can better help uh, the patients I work with to make decisions for themselves rather than telling them how to live according, you know, based on, you know, government recommendations or, uh, you know, what, what is, quote, best for them. I can, I can see them where they're at and meet them where they're at to help get them where they want to go. Um, and you may work in an environment where you can apply these concepts, whether, you, you know, it's retail or science or, or healthcare or, your, you know, education or whatever you're doing you can use these principles in your daily life and, and help to be more at peace with the decisions that you're making and what you're doing in your life. And, and you know, you can incorporate these natural, nature-based principles into your daily life. So, for instance, when you need to make a decision, you can kind of look at it from a broader perspective. You can look at it from a bird's-eye view. You can survey the field and see what's really going on and how all these different decisions may may come into play and how everything's related and connected. You can kind of take into account all the people that are involved or all the situations, all the things that are involved, rather than from a typical, you know, humanistic, egotistical perspective of, you know, quote, what's in it for me? Um, you know, some, some, some basic, I'm trying to think of like some basic real world situations. So, you know, you're at the grocery store and a person either intentionally or unintentionally cuts in front of you. So, you know, we can be very egotistical about this and get upset. And, you know, I was here first. You need to get in the back of the line, you know, that kind of thing. Or what's what's the really the big deal here? Like if I take a bird's eye view of this, okay, it might cost me another minute or whatever. So I, I'm not going to let my internal peace get disturbed. I'm just going to let this person go ahead. It's not a big deal. You know, um, another situation might be, 
you know, a, a person is on a street corner begging for money. So if you give the person that's begging for money a dollar, how do you feel? Uh, why are you doing that? Um, do you feel at peace with the decision? Do you feel guilty about it? Do you feel like you had to do it? Um, by giving them this dollar, does it enable them to keep begging rather than, uh, rather than helping them to realize what they're currently doing is not effective and, and forcing, you know, by default, forcing them to make a decision to improve their own lives through their own self-will? Uh, or conversely, do you look at them as a child that was possibly abused and and now you know they have a mental illness which pre- prevents them from functioning in society um, you know or do you see them as just a nuisance interfering with your day and you can't be bothered with it so when I'm bringing these things up I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong these are just examples of like an ethical or moral decision um, and different perspectives that you could take on these day-to-day happenings we've all encountered them we've all Uh, been disturbed or at peace with these decisions, but they are little ethical and moral decisions that we make throughout the day. So if you're still here, thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for being patient. I I told you this was going to be a long one, so it's very important. That's why it's so long. And there's a lot of really interesting uh, approaches to take to it. So another useful um, idea or concept when looking to nature and approaching ethics and morals from a Druid perspective is to focus on the here and the now. So, yes, it is important to plan for the future. Yes, it's important to learn from the past. However, there is something to be said for being present in the present moment. So, we are able to live in the present, and we are able to, in the present moment, understand that at this moment, everything truly is okay. You know, um, most of the time, people without even being aware of it, and for most of our lives, the things that we worry about truly don't matter. And and much of the time, the things that we worry about don't ever really happen or come true. So we worry about things that will never happen, or we regret things in the past that we cannot change. So these constant, this constant interplay between worrying about the future or having regrets or thinking about the past interfere with our ability to be who we are in the present moment. So if we think about our cat or our dog or our pet, uh, when we interact with them or we just sit quietly and observe them, are are they thinking about the future? Are they worried about the future? Are they regretting the past, things that happened in the past? Animals are very able to live in the present so, you know, this may look like enjoying a treat that you give them or you're scratching their head or scratching their belly or playing with them and they are happy in that moment. Um, at other times, this could mean that they defend their lives to ensure their survival. Um, you know, whatever happens in the moment, um, you know, a few moments later, they go right back to being in the present. They are perpetually in the present moment. So, by focusing on the here and now, animals are able to truly live freely. They can live a free life because all they are focused on is this moment right here, right now. They, they are not um, constrained by the chains of consciousness and conscious awareness that humans are gifted with, that we have. Um, yes, this consciousness and conscious awareness allows us to plan for the future and to learn from the past. But when we kind of access that, that process ex- excessively, we can develop, you know, a mental illnesses or we can at least be taken out of the moment and, and not be able to be present. You know, we can also look to plants for guidance on making ethical and moral decisions. So a tree, if we look at a tree, it does not intend to bear fruit in the fall by looking forward when it is springtime. So the tree is not thinking consciously, I got to start doing these things and I've got to do this because, you know, six months down the road, I need to produce this apple. And if I don't do it, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to fall behind and the other trees are going to make apples and I'm going to be left behind and I'm not going to be able to spread my seeds and blah, 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 you know, all this. That's what humans do. The tree responds to the present moment based on its DNA, its genetics, its, um, its reaction to the environment around it. And we can function the same way. Um, you know, 
uh, I like to always use the phrase uh, respond don't react so if I take the term respond I am able to uh, take an inventory of a situation and then make a decision to respond to that situation if I react I am reacting on like emotion or feeling or or uh, you know past or past uh, regrets or past fears or future focused anxiety uh, I'm reacting to the situation rather than responding to the situation so plants and animals respond they they do what needs to be done in that moment and we can function the same way so if we go back to the tree you know when the weather starts to turn warm the tree responds it grows leaves which starts this cycle and transition into bearing fruit and we can also live in in the moment most of the time when we can respond to the present rather than focusing or worrying about the future you know like I said the tree does not think oh no I'm not gonna have fruit in the fall the dog does not think oh when I was two years old uh, my previous owner attacked me so I'm gonna focus on this for for years and like develop a neurosis and a complex about being around other people and avoid human contact because I don't want to be kicked again uh, you know so some animals that were severely abused yes they develop aversions uh, to negative stimuli through learned behavior um, and, and then that becomes an instinct or a, lack, a reaction but they can't unlearn these things they are not thinking about it when they are doing other activities so for instance like a dog may be playing happily with another dog or person and be in the moment um, you know they're, they're not playing and running around having fun and then all of a, all of a sudden have a flashback to uh, you know being kicked in the ribs as a puppy and and now they're depressed like they this is this is a very human behavior but we can learn to get outside of that behavior and focus on the moment so humans unfortunately have this knack for allowing past or future focused thinking to impact our present thinking and this interferes with us being able to live in the present and to be useful to those around us and to make proper moral and ethical decisions So, much like plants and animals, we can also look to the elements for guidance on how to act ethically and morally. Uh, Bruce Lee, he was a famous martial artist. Um, he famously said, be like water. And what he meant like this was to, quote, go with the flow, so to speak, you know. Um, you know, in, in, in his martial arts practice, he meant, he was talking about be like water, be adaptable, be flexible. Um, so what does water do? By, by taking on this approach, we are able to uh, maneuver around obstacles we can disperse ourselves and kind of coalesce later as needed when encountering problems we can we can maneuver around things we can adapt and be flexible um, water can also take on other forms uh, you know as we talked about in the water episode uh, we can be cold as ice we can be destructive like a wave uh, we can be nurturing like a you know a gentle rain shower um, the, the point is we can look at the situation and decide which actions or emotions are necessary for the present moment again we respond rather than react uh, we can kind of respond with intentional thought and intentional action rather than react emotionally in a destructive manner and of course we can look to other elements air fire water I'm sorry air fire and earth um, and utilize their properties as needed um, but we don't simply you know see the elements as a force external to ourselves like we do like plants and trees that kind of thing um, you know the elements are within us and we can access them uh, we can connect to them at any time and utilize their properties to help us make decisions or to have the best action to benefit those around us so in addition to plants uh, trees animals elements um, some some druids um, work with gods or goddesses or deities and if you work with them um, they can also provide insight into how to be ethical moral responsible and so on um, there are productive um, protective helpful deities and there are destructive uh, chaotic deities there are those that build and those that destroy uh, there are those that seek harmony and balance and then those that seek chaos and, and craziness you know um, and, and in our human life there is an appropriate time for all of these um, sometimes we need to be a little chaotic sometimes we need to be a little destructive it just depends on the situation but again we are responding rather than reacting um, 
so we can uh, connect these various gods or goddesses or even even spirits of place um, you know or the ancestors for example too I'm uh, talking about the other world here um, you know we can use them to help guide and make decisions um, we can kind of listen uh, to that inner voice you know that inner voice that we typically ignore um, and we can feel deep inside what we need to do and listen to that and then go with it um, as humans you know with our big brains uh, we frequently try to make decisions rationally or logically and dismiss these gut feelings that we have you know but however some people go the other way uh, they are too emotional so they don't listen to the logical side of their mind they make snap judgments and react emotionally which can you know lead to more chaos in their lives is difficult to manage so in druidry one goal is you know one of the goals is to continually learn and kind of seek to understand when it's appropriate to utilize each of these aspects uh, for instance um, and bear with me here um, sometimes it's ethical uh, and morally correct to um, kill an animal that is suffering so this is just an example I was thinking about when when writing this episode I was trying to think about something that came up um, that would would lead to an ethical or moral decision that would would probably most of the time be be seen as unethical or immoral so um, I don't know if I've told this story on here but one night um, my wife and I were driving uh, traffic was slowing down there was a police car up ahead with its lights on it's dark um, you know as traffic kind of came to a crawl um, the cars were slowly going by and as I approached where the police car was the officer walked out in front of me holding his hand up so the officer holds his hand up and and right in front of our car a large buck a large deer big antlers big deer was was hobbling across the road it was not putting any weight on on one of its back legs and you know I just assumed it had been hit by a car you know um, it was hobbling so badly it's just it was gasping for breath you can tell that it was just terrified um, it, it made its way across this little two-lane highway and it just collapsed in the median this grassy area between the two two roads and and it just collapsed there and it's just gasping for breath like it is in shock and so as I started to drive the police officer waved us on as it's driving away I looked at the deer and it looked at me and you know this is what I felt I, I, I feel like this is what actually happened but I don't know but I, I made eye contact with the deer and the deer looked at me and I could just see this the suffering and the despair in this animal's eyes you know and when I was writing this I was just crying because it was a very emotional moment so um, so we were going to to a store which the entrance to this parking lot was only a couple hundred feet up up ahead of us so we turn into this parking lot we park we get out and we're walking into the store and as we're walking into the store I hear a gunshot so no doubt um, the officer made the decision to put down the deer it was suffering um, it was you know it, it could go panic and get up and, and run and cause a car accident um, you know it, it's a very traumatic thing but was that the right ethical decision in that moment and sometimes sadly uh, destruction is necessary and ethically correct to ease the suffering of others and and this is why ethics and morals are important in Druidry because it ties into everything in our lives from the smallest decisions to the largest decisions so um, another I'm going to talk about another instance um, in one of my previous jobs I was a nurse so um, as a nurse working on the floor in the hospital we frequently had what we call uh, comfort care patients so these are patients that they typically have a terminal diagnosis they are at the the end of their lives um, and they were usually in the hospital due to an acute illness with an already terminal diagnosis so you know maybe they have maybe they have you know end-stage cancer or something like that and they develop pneumonia and they're having trouble breathing and and they they can't go home they don't have the family members that are able to take care of them they are struggling you know they need to be in the hospital to to kind of um, to take care of them in this very fragile state so comfort care means that um, we don't do any life-saving measures uh, they are there strictly for comfort so they can eat what they want drink what they want 
Um, we do not treat infections. We don't try to heal or recover them. Um, the idea is that we know they are going to pass and we are there to help them to be comfortable in this stage of their life. So many times when patients are suffering in these conditions, they are struggling to breathe. And many of the medications that we give, which are ordered by physicians or nurse practitioners or physician assistants and so on, uh, the medications that we use are there to ease the patient's suffering. Um, so some of the most common medications are like opioids, pain medications, uh, benzodiazepines, which uh, decrease anxiety when a patient is, for instance, a patient may be non-responsive, so they, they don't respond to you stimulating them, talking to them. Um, they are very, very sick at the end of life, but they are very anxious. They have these physical signs of stress, such as rapid breathing, physical agitation. You know, they're squirming in the bed. They are restless. They are agitated, but they are not responsive uh, to, to, to us actually working, talking to them, stimulating them. So we use these medications in non-responsive patients to help them relax, to help their body relax and to ease their suffering. Um, unfortunately, uh, many of these medications have the side effect of reducing the drive to breathe. So uh, in the medical terminology, this is called uh, that they induce respiratory depression. So it tells the brain to slow down your drive to breathe so that you are not gasping for air trying to, to get your oxygen levels up. And, you know, more than once I've had these comfort care patients and I've had to make the decision to give a medication to this patient to ease their suffering, which coincidentally led to their passing, which led to their death. And if you're not in healthcare, uh, this uh, on the outside, it seems like nurses are purposely killing patients or doctors are, t are telling nurses to kill their patients. And this is not the intention. Um, their body has simply declined to the point that they are physically struggling to stay alive. And when we give these medications, it allows their body to relax, which eases their suffering, which then allows them to pass on. And these are very sad moments, um, but they're also very profound moments. Um, there's a deep spiritual feeling with um, myself and the family member and the patient when these, these situations arise. Um, you know, as a nurse, um, I'm able to be there in that moment with the patient and their family at the time of death. This has not happened a lot. It's only been a few times, um, but it has had a very profound effect on me, and it does not get any easier. Um, there are um, a type of nurse called a hospice nurse. Um, they do this for a living. They are very special people. They are very necessary to humanity. They are very important in healthcare. Um, and they learn how to handle those situations appropriately and to take care of patients and their families. My point here with this long story is that ethical, you know, the ethical and moral decision to give a medication that may end a person's life is very difficult. It's a very difficult decision to make, but it is necessary. You know, and if, if, if I or another nurse were not there to give these medications, that patient would struggle painfully to, just to try to keep their body alive, which is causing them suffering and causing their families suffering to see them go through this. So with Druidry, and I'm tying it back in here, so thank you for bearing with me. With Druidry, I'm able to look at this and understand the life cycle and to approach these situations with kind of a sense of comfort and ease. I can approach them and the situation and, and approach it with an ethical, moral, respectful, and responsible approach. Um, I'm able to be there for the patient and the family um, rather than going in being afraid and nervous, you know, um, I'm simply doing what is right at that moment in those circumstances, just like the tree bearing leaves in the spring or the earthworm that comes out of the soil during a rainstorm to keep from drowning. Um, you know, my, in that moment, my thoughts and my actions in that moment are my fruit. And this can carry over into all con concepts or aspects of our lives, you know, my intention and my response to a situation are my gift to the world. I can choose how I want to present them. Um, you know, I can, I can be ethical and moral and responsible and, and, and do the right thing in the moment, or I can ignore these principles and I can be chaotic and destructive and harmful. It is ultimately my choice, but from a Druid perspective, we want the best outcome for all beings, and, and that's how I approach it. Um, 
you know, humans um, have this perception. Um, we, we have this perception that our responsibility is greater than, than all the other beings on earth due to the fact that we have this conscious awareness. You know, so I am human, so I am more important than everything else on earth because I'm a human. And if we approach life from this perspective, all of the interactions that we have and the decisions that we make seem very monumental. They seem very important because I'm responsible for the world, you know, this kind of approach. Um, But it can be very disastrous. You know, it can be very detrimental to take on this approach. But if instead, if we live moment to moment like a tree or a plant or an animal, we simply do whatever is put in front of us. We just do the next right thing. You know, I can be present in this moment for those around me. And the, the truly, actually, the effect that we have on the world is very limited when compared to that of, say, a glacier or a, a huge, you know, miles-wide forest or a swarm of insects that decimate crops or, or, or the ocean. You know, on an individual level, I am no one more important than an ant. You know, the, the ant in an ant colony feels that it is just as important as me. It does not have conscious awareness that it is an ant, but it it is important and it will fight for its life and it does what needs to be done in the task that it's in front that's in front of it. It has its own life, its own goals, its own interactions with the environment and those around it. So from a humanistic perspective, why do I feel the right you know that I why do I feel that I have the right to exist more than an ant does? You know, is this is it because I'm a larger animal because I'm bigger? Is it you know because I have opposable thumbs um, and, and can manipulate my environment? Is it because I'm conscious and I believe that I have free will, so I can make decisions and make choices? Whereas an ant is just you know it, it doesn't have free will. It doesn't have conscious decision making capabilities. And you know, speaking about free will, um, if you're interested in the topic, there's um, if you study any philosophy. There's this whole debate about free will versus determinism, um, and I'm not going to go into the debate here. Um, you know, free will is the, the the premise that we make our own decisions, we steer on our own lives, etc. Determinism means that we are only acting based on the things that happened before us, and ever and we we are not able to make conscious decisions because we are only able to make decisions based on what is currently happening to us based on what has happened in the past. So it's very much like cause and effect. Um, you know, uh, one example might be, um, you know, a, a debate that I have a lot with uh, people in my field is, um, you know, uh, say a murderer or um, someone that is a criminal. Let's just say a criminal. So could they have made any other choice than the choice that they made? Or are their actions simply based on their their entire history that has led up to that moment um you know their brain scans have been done on serial killers and murderers etc or are lifelong criminals and they have a completely different brain structure and, and many you know they're the front part of their brain where decision making in the prefrontal cortex where decision making and judgment is brought in is typically smaller than the average person so is this free will or is this deterministic is, are they are they even capable of making any other choices than the ones that they have made? So it's it's a very interesting philosophical concept if you're interested in it. And again, that comes into ethics and morals. That's why I'm I'm talking about it. So, you know, if um you know if we accept these the the precepts of kind of physics uh, and deterministic philosophy, we are simply doing the only thing that we are capable of doing in any moment. Um, you know. The, we have this idea that we could have chosen the other. We could have done this other thing. And what this leads to is, sadly, a lot of regret about the past or a lot of worry about the future because we we have this um, illusion that, well, I could have made different decisions or if someone hurt me in my past, they could have made different decisions. But if we look at it from a deterministic perspective, we can see that it could have not gone, it could not have gone any other way. Uh, things happen the way they did because that's the only way that they could have happened. And this brings a sense of freedom and acceptance. Um, it, it, it brings the ability to be able to let go. Um, you know, 
in essence, every moment of our lives has led up to the moment that we are currently in and what is happening now. And we frequently stand at kind of this precipice um, of an ethical or moral decision, and we, we weigh these decisions as though our lives depend on it. And what the Druid does is takes... Um, they simply, you know, take the approach to do the next right thing that benefits the most beings and the earth. So there is no right or wrong that needs to be done in this huge decision that we must make. It's going to affect the outcome of humanity. We only do the next thing that's in front of us. And, and this allows us to make good ethical and moral decisions and to be responsible. We simply say what needs to be said and we do what needs to be done right now. And then we do that. And again, this gives us the ability to let go and to focus on what truly matters in the moment. So, conversely, um, I want to thank you again if you're still listening. I appreciate it very much. Um, sometimes the appropriate action in a situation is non-action. Um, so, you know, this can be helpful uh, in, in a lot of situations, you know, to simply be a silent observer or to be a presence for someone that that may need us in that moment just to be there. Um, maybe we don't need to interject and help steer someone lives, someone's lives and or make a decision or, or point someone in a direction. Sometimes to come to a crossroads, it's okay to just sit at the crossroads and to just be there. Um, you know, so if we look to nature, we can take on the aspect of a, a log or a downed tree in the forest. We can simply be still and be present we cannot perform any action, but we can just simply be there and be helpful and be useful for some, someone or something when we are needed. Um, you know, we are serving a purpose at that moment without imposing our will or our thoughts on that moment. So if we look at the concept of responsibility as druids, uh, we do recognize we are in the fortunate position of being a human being on this planet. So again, um, kind of looking at free will versus uh, determinism and all that stuff, um, we do have conscious awareness and we can make decisions that influence the world around us. Um, we are able to look around and recognize the limited resources that we have around us. But we also recognize the the interdependence. So interdependence and interconnectedness, you know, inter just means between. So depend, in between all things are dependent on each other and all things are connected. Again, these are also Buddhist principles, um, if you're interested in Buddhism. So, um, you know, so we recognize this need to be uh, environmental conservationists. Uh, we can be proactive in preventing destruction of the environment around us, um, or we can make efforts to help heal the world around us in any number of ways, from, you know, reducing waste, uh, reducing the use of plastics or other, you know, unnatural chemicals. Um, we can choose more ecological means of transportation if we have that possibility. You know, if we live in a, a city, we can take a bus or ride a bike or walk or whatever. Um, you know, on an individual note, we can choose how we spend our time to bring peace to ourselves, which will affect others around us as well. So this doesn't seem like it stems from any ethical or moral or responsible decision making, but it. it the way we spend our time individually affects who we are in society. So we can choose to spend time in nature because we understand the benefits of being in nature. Um, you know, in, I think it's Japan, um, I can't remember the term, but many doctors will prescribe going for walks in the woods because they understand that not just at an emotional or spiritual level that it has a positive benefit, but there truly is uh, a physiological benefit from being in the forest. There are chemicals that are released by plants. Um, I should have looked this up. I'm sorry, but it just came to me. There are chemicals released by the soil. There are um, chemicals released by the plants that get into our bodies and, and help us to heal. They neutralize free radicals, all this kind of stuff. Um, you can look that up if you're interested. But yeah, doctors, some doctors in Japan actually prescribe going for walks in nature as part of their, quote, medication. So, you know, we again, we can choose time uh, spending time in nature, but we can also, instead of making like a positive choice, we can make a, a positive choice is like something we are, an action we are taking. We can also do like a negative choice and, and choose not to do certain things. So we can choose not to spend as much time with technology, for instance. Um, you know, we can instead focus on 
being creative or doing art or, or uh, learning more about the things that bring us peace. We can try to spend time and build relationships with people or animals or plants around us. Um, you know, we understand as druids that every action we take and decision we make will influence the future in some way. So we are able to look at the big picture. You know, we are able to take that bird's eye view rather than focusing on the minutiae, the little things. We do have the ability in, in any moment to use that metaphor, common metaphor, we can see both the forest and the trees. You know, the, the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. And, and what that means is you're not able to see the big picture because you're focusing on the little things. You're focusing on the one tree in front of you, so you can't see the forest. But as a druid, we want to take on this practice of seeing the forest and the tree at the same time. We want to see the big picture, but also appreciate the beauty and the context of the little things. Um, you know, we, we recognize um, the, the, the importance that the little things play in the broader context of life, and we can appreciate both. And so these small decisions and these actions that we take help to build up our character and guide us to be the person that we want to be. So if we think about change and, and becoming, becoming other than what we are now, change does not happen all at once. It happens over time through repetitive small choices and actions. Um, you know, there's a, a joke. Um, it, the joke is, how do you eat an elephant? And you eat an elephant one bite at a time. I mean, that's all you can do. <laughs> so, so any goal that you have or anything you want to do, again, one bite at a time is kind of a reference to just being in the moment right now, only doing the next thing that's in front of you, making the right decision, making the proper ethical decision. And to kind of bring in, this just popped into my head, so sorry for the tangent, uh, to bring in Buddhism again, um, there is, I'll just throw it out there, there's the Four Noble Truths in Buddhism. Um, so um, I may get them out of order because it's been a while since I thought about them, but uh, one is the first noble truth is that there is suffering. Um, the second is um, the cause of our suffering is desire. Uh, the third noble truth is the way to ease the suffering is to cease desire. And so the fourth noble truth, which is kind of what led me to it, is the it's called the noble eightfold path, which is the way to ease desire, which is the way to ease your suffering. Um, so the noble eightfold path, there's these eight principles. And the first word of each one is right. So it's like right speech, right action, right thought, right motivation, all these kind of things. So that's kind of the point I'm getting at. You know, if we live in the moment and we do the next right thing, whether it's a thought or an action or a motivation or speech or whatever it is, then we can have a, a we can live in peace. We can have less suffering and we can in, and be present for the present moment and for those around us. And doing all of this does lead to becoming an ethical, moral, responsible person. And we can have our practice built up around what we feel is important and not what, you know, the media or society tells us that we should focus on. Um, we can focus on our druidic and druid actions and interests and, and, and goals and perceptions of the world. Um, you know, so for me, I am more interested in my local forest uh, than I am like the political status of the country. I, I used to get so riled up about things and I don't like talking about politics because everybody has their own opinion and that's okay. But for me, I just, I've basically checked out because um, I enjoy going to my forest. That brings me peace. That brings me happiness. Um, it makes me feel connected to my locality. I can directly affect these things around me within my bubble, but I cannot change the course of the country. So, you know, by letting go and not focusing on these things outside of my control, I'm able to be at peace with the things that I can control. You know, uh, the crow that is, you know, cawing outside of my door or window, um, you know, that I may occasionally throw some food out to or that I like to talk to. Yes, I talk to the crows. Sometimes they talk back. Not in a human voice, by the way. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Um, you know, that brings me more joy than getting hyper-focused on politics or the economy or whatever. So, you know, we, as Druids, we can choose where we put our energy. Um, this is also a concept or kind of a premise um, within being an ethical, moral, and responsible Druid. We can choose to make decisions that bring us internal peace rather than worrying so much about what others think of us or acting the way that others tell us 
that we should act. And so that's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. If you feel lost, if you feel like, I don't know if this path is right for me, that's okay. Um, but don't you, you know, don't have any shame or guilt or fear about even just investigating this path or, or, or exploring different practices. Listen to yourself and listen to what you want to get out of life because that's the only way that you're going to truly be happy. So while the, this is wrapping up here. So thanks again for being with me. Um, you know, while these broad ideas of ethics and morals and responsibility and so on, um, they can have any number of meanings depending on the context or depending on the source of reasoning, like the, um, you know, the, the background from which they come from, whatever is guiding you, whatever ethical principles or moral principles or whatever is guiding you, they can have a lot of different perspectives. But from a Druid perspective, we can simplify these and narrow them down to, to the goal of lead, leading a very simple and peaceful life. We can look to nature for inspiration on how to live. We can be flexible. We can be adaptable. We can live with purpose and joy. We can do what is in front of us right now without regretting the past or worrying too much about the future. So practice this. Go to the forest. Go somewhere and be in nature. Just sit there. Just simply sit and observe the workings of nature. See what things are doing. See what the trees are doing. See what the animals are doing. What is the soil doing? What is the mycelium network under the ground doing? What is the rain doing? What are the clouds doing? What's the sun doing? Pay attention to these things and learn from them. You know, and then you can take these principles and these concepts and apply it to your own life. And this will help you lead a life that is full of peace, full of understanding, and full of purpose. So if you've made it this long, thank you so much. This is the longest episode by far. This is like a marathon, uh, but it's a very important idea or group of ideas in Druidry. So I hope you have found this helpful, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining in at the Druid's Grove. I thoroughly enjoyed sharing this time and information with you. I hope you learned something and are inspired to build a connection to the earth and the world around you. If you liked what was shared, please feel free to give back at Buy Me a Coffee. Join me on Substack, where I have transcripts, or listen on YouTube, and find the group on social media. For more information, check the show notes. I'll see you in the Grove. Until next time.